Hello and welcome to the Right for Your Life podcast. This week I am joined, as I will always be joined forever, by <laughs> um, uh, Donna Sorensen, my co-host. Hello, Donna. Hi, Ian. Good week. Yeah, really good week. Um, tell, tell us about the um, very briefly. Tell us about the uh, chimpanzee. <laughs> oh, life-defining moment. Well. You know, you see all these mad things on YouTube and you think it's never going to, you know, you're never going to see it right in front of you. But I uh, went to the zoo yesterday and a massive adult male chimp um, was squatting with his back to us, uh, pulling slowly a poo out of its bottom. And then he just sat there and sniffed and kind of licked at it for about 10 minutes with me just going, ah, ah, like this and all the kids obviously around getting really excited as well. Um, and uh, it was amazing just to see nature in action, you know. It sounds amazing. So our first topic is going to be about Thomas Hardy's grave, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Sorry, I thought... Absolutely. I landed you in it there quite literally. I just thought it was just quite amusing that you had managed to catch the chimpanzee at that particular point in time. It's a bit unfortunate, really. Well, I've said that to people since, and they've been like, well, you know, they probably do it every day. Probably every hour or so. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if people react to it, you never know. They might, it might actually be something they do specifically to, um, to uh, like, to entertain people. That's what's going to happen. They're going to evolve to perform that particular manoeuvre in order to entertain crowds. They would have never have done that millions of years ago. Well, as long as they don't evolve to open door handles, like on Jurassic Park, we'll all be all right. That's true. So, Thomas Hardy, you read a um, um, an article and you sent it to me and uh, it raises some interesting questions, I think. So, tell us briefly um, what that what it was, what it is. So, um, a tweet came through this week, which I, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. It was about Thomas Hardy's two funerals. And the tweet was from Oxford Classics, um, from their stream. So, over on their blog, they had a really interesting little piece about, you know, what happened after Thomas Hardy passed away. Um, and very briefly, if people don't know, um, he had always wanted to be buried with his first wife. And he had the plot ready in the, in the local churchyard. And... Um, you know, life moved on, he got married again, and it happened that he became so famous that after he died, there was a lot of pressure to have um, him buried in Westminster Abbey. Um, And his second wife felt very pressured into it um, and had to take that big decision, which was going against his wishes and everything. So in the end, his ashes uh, were interred in Westminster Abbey, and his heart was actually transported back to um, to be buried next to his uh, his wife as he had always hoped. So um, I was thinking, my goodness, like this, you know, an author that that much of a fuss was made about back in the day. And I, I was looking at all the different writers and, and people that were um, in Westminster Abbey or lying there in state, as it were, or well, not in state, I guess, but you know what I mean. Um, and I was wondering whether any authors today would would even be considered for such an honour, or whether it's just something from times gone by, whether authors of the past were held in more esteem. Just, it was, I just thought, wow, I just can't see it happening in this day and age. Well, well authors were much much more like celebrities back, yeah. in, back in the 19th century, probably, yeah, I would guess also in the, uh, certainly the early, early 20th century, I think. And um, and it was, and I guess that's where this this um, this idea that a writer is in some way special it still exists in some way or another. I think I think people are still impressed if you say that you've 
got a novel published or something along those lines, it still has a certain cachet, if you will, the term to be an author, um, but nowhere near uh, in the same way as it was back then. And, and I think my answer is no, I don't think that there will be any more people popped into uh, Poets Corner in Westminster Abbey. I just, it just doesn't, doesn't feel very doesn't feel very British anymore because there'd be such a fuss, wouldn't there? There'd be such a fuss about it. Why, why are they? And why them and not someone else? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I, I checked out that the last um, poet or writer to be buried in there was someone called John Maysfield. Do you know, have you heard of him before? Johnny Maysfield? <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. No, no, I haven't actually. He, 1967, he was very... Oh, uh, 67, vintage. He, he was uh, he's, he was the poet laureate for ages apparently, which I had no idea. Um, but the last person was Laurence Olivier in the nineties. So people actually can still be buried there. But I just I can't imagine you know like bless her she's not she's not you know she's not going to pop it now. But you know J.K. Rowling for example. Mm, yeah, I guess so. I mean, let's say you know when she's like reached the grand old age of one hundred and twenty in however many years. What will the country do then? I guess she's one of the few people that have such incredibly universal popularity that it's a possibility. Yeah, the, yeah. But you see, then I was—I looked at other names, people like Agatha Christie, right? She is, yeah. I think, I don't know whether she still is now, but, you know, she's one of the absolute best-selling authors of all time, isn't she? And everybody knows her name. Absolutely everybody has heard of her or knows one of her stories. But... She was she, you know, that that was not something that was was thought of for her. But Jeffrey Archer's sold an awful lot of books. I don't think he's going to make it into Poets Corner. No, but he wouldn't be known abroad. Do you think he? Well, I mean, maybe he would be. Well, no, but the, but I think what we're, what we're stumbling across is the is the idea of criteria. What is it that makes one author worthy of kind of national significance and another author that isn't? So, you, someone like Salman Rushdie, you would argue, has been in the last. 30 years, you know, clearly one of the most eminent writers in the UK. But there are parts of the world where he's not particularly popular, I've heard. I know, but then I guess another thing is, do you need to be British to be buried in Westminster Abbey? Well, there we go, another good question. I don't think so, because Oscar Wilde... Oh, no, Oscar Wilde wasn't buried there. They said he had a he had a commemorative plaque put up. Right. Well, it's nice to have a little plaque as well, isn't it? <laughs> A little something in there, yeah. But I was also thinking, you know, there were a lot of amazing personalities back in the day, writers and all that kind of stuff, but I guess because they were kind of also controlling the means of communication, you know, with their, their booklets and, and well, whatever they were writing, that was the way that word was spread, wasn't it? Yeah, it's true, that's true. And, uh, and, and I guess there's obviously we can access anyone that even dares to carry a pen round with them we can probably access some work of theirs now whereas i guess back then and i use that term knowing knowing that it's probably as vague as it gets back then um you wouldn't know about as many people there would be like a group of um of authors who everyone knew about as opposed to this huge pool that we have now where we have we well we have someone like me for example who has written a book it's sort of i've written a book i don't know if i'd mention this um, and you know it's available to buy on Amazon, but no one's heard, no one's heard of me. <laughs> What's it's, it called? It's in bookshops. It's called Age Frangelica. It's available in most sensible book retailers, um, but no one's heard of me. You know, I, I have a, you know it's a niche. It's a very niche audience. Maybe a couple of thousand people on the internet who subscribe to a podcast may have heard of me, but you know, 
Trevor down the road hasn't. He's got no idea who I am. And um, he's like. It's, uh, and, and there are lots of other me's. Is, is my is my point. So you have a, a, a larger pool to draw to draw from. Uh, but I, I, I do think people still think it's cool. I mean, you're about to have your poetry collection published. Are you expecting to feel different? Are you, are you expecting to to feel like a... I don't know. What, what What are you expecting to feel like? I mean, based on how I've reacted to actually, you know, finding out about it, it's. I guess you, you also have this slight panic, like, is this really happening? And, oh, hang on a minute, let's just wait until this happens, until you can really feel like it's happening and all this kind of stuff. But... You know, it hasn't hit me, I don't think, really yet. But I'm sure that I will I will feel slightly differently because it's like you have this thing in the world and you can pick it up and you can, you know, turn it over and you can try and fob it off on other people, you know? <laughs> exactly. <It's> like, <laughs> you make it sound so glamorous. But, you know, I, I do actually, when I think about it, I am the kind of person that is interested in, in looking into the lives of writers and contemporary writers. And, um, you know, without meaning to sound too morbid, I have been on kind of small literary pilgrimages you know to see where people lived or um <laughs> this sounds really I, um, I i did refuse to let you in the house though if i remember <laughs> rightly no in that in the, yeah i'm actually talking about people not still with us but i mean i can imagine there are writers today that i would be interested in seeing where they're buried or you know where they lived and stuff in the future that's i i think that that's kind of a universal thing isn't it they might not be you know Kardashian type celebrities, but I don't know. There's there's still something in it. You do always want to know more about the the book. So why you know you read the book and you think right? I need you, you, you want to know more about the author. It's the same with music. You kind of you like a band. Uh, sorry, you like an album, and then you think, well, I want to know more about the band. So if you think about someone like Bonnie Vare, who you mm-hmm. may or may not know, audience, but should do. It's fairly popular now. But his first album, um, uh, For Emma Forever Ago, beautiful album. And it's a beautiful album in its own right. But the fact that he was, he, he kind of split up with his girlfriend, wasn't very well, went to live in a cabin in the middle of um, uh, Wisconsin in the snow, and he just made it on his own with an acoustic guitar. All of a sudden, the, the album takes on a completely different context. And the, the mythology of that album is, is completely rooted in everything around it and not just the, the art itself, if you like. And I do Absolutely. think there is an, an interest in those things. And, you know, a lot of writers do tend to be terribly tortured souls, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're very going to, interesting stories. We're going to come on to this later on. We're going to talk about innovative book promotion, and um, I, I, I've, I'm thinking of expanding on that I, the idea a little, So I'll, um, for, for uh, Angelica, but we'll come on to that shortly. But I think it's time for our second topic. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think we want to get some sort of music or some kind of bong to... Uh, <laughs> I've got plenty of um, children, like baby toys, that make squeaking noises. That I could do two hoots on that or something. We have. We should do that for next time. I've also got plenty of children's toys. Uh, we'll make that. Uh, we'll make that happen. We'll do a proper jingle. This is going to be amazing. So, anyway. our second topic is. Um, it's been suggested by um, a very good friend of mine um, on the into Twitters, and it was. Uh, and that that is um, Joanne Matier. Um, uh, ex-colleague of mine, wonderful friend. You may know her as Manuela Boyle. She presented the podcast with me back in the early days. And um, she says, how do you find time to be creative? Um, and I think she was saying that knowing that we had, we both had very young children and uh, jobs and stuff. And, yeah. um, <laughs> how do you? How do you, Ian? 
Well, I've, I have I have noted an answer, but it is it is the answer that I've given before on I think on at least three entire episodes of the podcast. Um, my answer is: How do you find time to be creative when you've got lots of stuff going on? Is that a you need to care so much about it that you can't possibly not do it, so you never get to a point where you go, "Oh, just soddy, I can't be bothered." There's something something within you that drives you on to do it anyway, um, even though you haven't really got time. You kind of make time, I guess. Mm. And you make time by b sacrificing mm-hmm. other things in your life, and um, and I've talked about this extensively and written about it on the blog uh, on the blog, but it's um, the it's the idea of giving you have to give something something has to go you have to give something up, mm-hmm. um, and I think the reason having children is so difficult, um, so it's so difficult to be creative when you've got young children and babies is not just that you're knackered and you <laughs> and you haven't got time it's because those two things i've just said don't really apply anymore because you care about your children more than you care about whatever your creative project is no matter what it is you should that should always be the way around it goes so that's kind of negated um, and you've also got elmo and all sorts of ridiculous songs and words and stuff floating around in your head it's not exactly <laughs> high literature is it you know well that's true that's true um so you you care you you care more um, about your children than you do um, your your project um, and you can't sacrifice your children and I don't mean that in a biblical way I mean that in you know you can't just say well I'm not going to bath the children or put them to bed tonight because I need to work on my novel you know in every sense they it's are interesting worse. isn't it that you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking you know like is this because you bath them every night you know there could be one night where they don't need a bath every night. Well, it could be, but I there'll, guess be, there'll, just have to... there'll be something else. I guess. <laughs> Put them to bed <laughs> half an hour early. Yeah, well, absolutely. But um, you're quite right. There are there are ways around it, and you, I guess, so you, you basically have to do it when they are not there. But what I mean is, usually, I would say, well, you sacrifice. Um, I don't know if you're working on two projects, sacrifice one to make sure you do the other one brilliantly well, or sacrifice going to the pub with your mates because you've got to finish your short story. That would normally be what I would say, but you can't say sacrifice no. spending time with your children because this is more important because it will never be more important. Yeah, but although, I mean, this is going to be interesting comparison then if we come back and, and look at this again after we've had two or three kids or whatever and see whether we're still saying that. Then it'll be just like, ah, they can make their own food and then they can sort themselves out and they can choose what they're going to wear and I'll sit and write. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I do think people get more relaxed, don't they? Yeah, I hope so. I'm, well, we are quite relaxed. I think we are quite relaxed, really. Yeah, I mean, just meaning, you know, I guess with the first one, you're still learning the way, and that also takes a lot of mental energy. Well, I've gone, um, I've gone straight on to first two. I don't sort of mess around with one. Oh, God, I know. Stop it. Oh, God. Uh, what's your answer? How do you find time to be creative when you've got lots of stuff to do in your life? Um, well, actually, deadlines, I find, as well. Like, it's been quite interesting having things to have to do for the for the first collection, you know? Then I've actually been like, well, there's nothing else to be done. I'm some, you know, I'm going to see if somebody else would like to enjoy Ivy's company for a few hours, not try to just, you know, pan her off on someone else. Um, while I can just actually, you know, sit and get into a bit of a bubble here because I have to, and then that's been really good because I've actually used that time just to to write other things and and just you get you know once you start being a little bit creative, it just opens the door to more kind of more creative opportunities, doesn't it? That's true, and I think that's the thing that does happen when you've got lots of stuff on it. It usually means that you can't get into any kind of habit 
I see, yeah. pe- see people on the internet who tell me that I need to get my bum in the chair and I think, get lost. That's what I think. <laughs> Yeah. Come on, you try getting your bum in the chair when you've got a full-time job and two eight-month-old babies in your house. I know, but I, t- I can totally see why people do um, retreats, writing retreats. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm you know, before I was like, I never had any need of it, but now I just like, oh, I mean, I'm just dreaming about the day when I can just go off to some kind of wild, windswept coast and just run around in a nightdress, you know, and writing about the experience. Is this on a retreat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, I'd, <laughs> I, I'd like to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But I mean, I, I remember once seeing an interview with this um, Egyptian dentist and he looked very hardworking. He was in his, I'd say, late 50s, early 60s. He'd been working a long time. He was uh, in Cairo working hard and he just published a novel. Um, and he'd been doing it at uh, God knows what hours of the morning, you know, just writing whenever he got a snippet. And I thought, you know, if that guy can do it, then I'm pretty sure we all can. I didn't even know whether he had kids. He could have had kids as well. Yeah, I mean, but you, you're right. I, I am. I'm being slightly facetious. There is always a way. I mean, that is the that is the um, that's the the ultimate message behind the old bum in chair thing is that you know you need to find a way. Basically, if you no, like I said, my, my message is you need to find your Egyptian dentist. <laughs> Because he's mar- like whenever I think that, then I just think about him. So you need to just find someone that's an, you know an inspiration to you. And when you're feeling like you can't do it, just be like, yeah, Trevor down the road could do it. Well, see, he's he doesn't even know who I am. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's hopeless. Forget Trevor. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Basically, there is no easy answer. <laughs> you just you just have to do your best. I think that's that's the way I feel at the moment. I'm just yeah. doing my best on all fronts. Totally. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go to topic three. This is the the one that I uh, mentioned earlier on that uh, I said we'd come back to, and it's about innovative book promotion. Yeah. So authors are, as we all know, I think, far more responsible for marketing and promoting their novels, their short story, poetry, whatever it might be, um, than they used to be. There used to be a fairly traditional route to marketing as well as publishing but of course now we have the internet and um and that's all changed there are lots of different things that you can do and um emma newman who's been on the podcast before she has a a great blog um i'll include links to all her stuff in the show notes um she's she asked uh, she's doing a promotion for her uh, her the second novel in uh, her in a trilogy and it's called um any other and now I was about to say something else, and now I'm going to have to check because I've. For some no, reason, any other I'm, name. Any other day, isn't it? Name. Name. Damn it! I knew it was. That's why I was getting it wrong. Sorry, Emma. Um, and what she's doing, she's asked twelve different bloggers, of which one is me, um, to um, to if they would kindly post about the book on their sites, which I was happy to do, and um, and within that post, she's included a, a secret link. So the idea is that people have to go to these different websites to collect these secret links and then they get some sort of magic prize at the end of it and lots of various goodies. And um, and I thought it was a really, really simple, just such a simple way of doing it. Like you don't have to have some kind of elaborate, expensive marketing ploy or huge budget in order to promote a book quite well. Um, mm-hmm. You just need to sort of just to, do, just to think a bit differently, really, and to, to, to do something... I don't know, that will catch people's attention. And I thought that was quite a, a good way of doing things. Is it, tell me, how much 
how much do people actually have to do? Like they, what they need to do is they need to, because I'm just trying to think like, you know, you know what people are like, they sit there and they just want something immediately on the internet, don't they? Mm. So they have, they have to click on a, in a tweet. They have to click on a link to a blog. Um, yes. And then when they're there, yeah. What, what's the next thing? Like, do, do they have to do anything really involved or is it just literally just, they, just, they click, a, they click a link. And once you, once you click the link on the blog, on the blog post, um, so for, well, let's take let's let's go through how how it how it works using um, my post today as an example. Emma has tweeted about the blog post that I've put up, so her audience will go to my blog. Good for me; they'll discover me for the first time, all being well. And in that blog post, they will see a, a link that says, "Hey, go and find one of the." This is one of the secret links. They'll click through. It takes them to Emma's blog. And it's um, it's like a, a, an object or an artifact and like a description of something. And then they need to collect twelve of those from different blogs. And um, and uh, and then once they've got them all, they can say, "Hey, look, I've got them all." And then they they're victors. Victorious, yeah. So it's not a huge, it's not a huge amount of effort, but it's it's I think it's good to. And this is the bit where it, where it comes on to I think um, the way I'm thinking of promoting uh, Angelica and I'm several months in remember it's launch day for Emma I'm several months in it's much harder to to promote a book um, it's it's about creating um, something around the book which is what I was talking about earlier on it's about creating something else around a single piece of art to try and add interest for those people who you know are interested and who will then be more I guess be advocates advocates for for the book it's about almost about building a community or, or just I don't know I don't know what the right word is but building something around the book well it's like yeah I know totally ambassadors I guess yeah but, yeah but I, I think that the the real difficult balance in this day and age is is what I was saying earlier is about you know getting people to slightly like to do a little thing to do something but not too much because people just don't bother they just don't bother and I don't mean to be a downer on people you know people are nice but you know what it's like if you if you have to click too many times or if you have to like write in something I mean even just typing I'd say puts people off in this day and age you know it's it's um it's a really fine balance to get people involved but without putting them off and i think it's people that do it well it's fantastic it's amazing yeah and this is why having a platform before you launch the book and having people interested in your blog or your podcast or your twitter account even is a really good thing because then you have people are more inclined to actually do that thing whatever it is that you want them to do and ultimately you want people to to buy your book i mean that's the ultimate goal isn't it really absolutely or it is interesting you were saying it's you know about people that that are going to be interested in the book because I mean, if you know, it's no good putting a video out on YouTube, you know, that's going to get you know a million hits if if none of them, absolutely none of them, would be interested in your book. I guess. I mean, they might know your name, and so they'd be interested in what you're doing. I don't know. Maybe that is a good thing. I'm just imagining from a from a poetry perspective. Yeah. You know, getting a video that's like amazingly popular on YouTube and everybody watches it. I mean, how many of those people will then go and actually buy the poetry collection? You know, if it's something. Well, it's uh, the 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 uh, ratios or don't make very pleasant reading for authors and publishers. It's it's really tough. I mean, um, I think I think some people. I, I've got a very small platform on you know my website, and we've got the podcast now as you know as well. It's mm. relatively small, but I think people would perceive it as being. Oh, they've got you know you've got the podcast. Yeah, lots of people listen to that, and I go well, not compared to a lot of other podcasts and to a lot of other websites. And the reality is that. Um, and, and I'm fine with this, by the way. I'm not complaining for crying out loud, <laughs> listeners. But the reality is that you know, 
people listen to this podcast, I would imagine, because they're, they, they, they may be interested in, in me, they may be interested in you just as, as people, they might just find it entertaining, but presumably they like to listen to conversations about writing. and. Yeah. And they are writers. It doesn't mean that they're... Uh, they're already on our side, basically. They're, we're all... I'm going to use other things as well. I'm going to say, like, like dancing to the same tune, all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. They're kind of interest, interested in, in writing and, I guess, reading to an extent. But it, by no, by no means... That's not the right phrase. It, but in no way does it um, ensure that those people then go on and buy a book. I mean, I've, I talked before, I think it was to Mike, when he was on the podcast with me, Mike Hurley. I, I said to him, um, um, my, I, I launched an audio book, which was a collection of uh, me reading some of what I thought were the best posts on Write for Your Life. I've just an audio version of them with a couple of new ones as well. And I thought, well, you know, I've got a couple of thousand subscribers. At least 1,800 of those are going to buy this. I'm going to be a millionaire by the end of the day. And um, after six months, I'd had 21 purchases and I decided it was rather embarrassing having it on my website and I probably ought to remove it. Maybe you should like never talk about it again. I can't believe you're bringing it up again. Well, the two I, again. I have brought this up. I did have your mentioned... therapist say? Didn't didn't they say not to talk about it again? <laughs> they did, but I just I just can't help it because I'm still so upset. <laughs> but it was it was a crap product, really. I mean, who wants to who wants to listen to stuff that they can read for free? Who wants to pay to listen to stuff that they can read online much quicker? For don't free? say that because this is. I mean, you can get everything for free nowadays. Then you know we should all give up. I mean, you can get music free online. You can get poems. You can get pieces of writing. I mean, for God's sakes, you can get novels as well, can't you? You certainly can. They probably won't be very good, but you can get them. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Google, by the way, Ian. Just to try and take your mind off this obviously very dark spot for you. What, <laughs> what, you remember when Google were, were putting like scanning everything, everything anyone had ever written, and we're yeah. putting it up. Yeah. on the internet whatever happened to that in the end did they ever take it down this is sounds really uh, no Google, Google Books is a thing it, it exists um, I don't they perhaps didn't do it in the same way that they said they were going to do it but I mean it, you, you can access information and you can read at least the first part of most books these days yeah but you can't read the whole thing though I don't think so because that's what they were planning in the start wasn't it yeah no I'll have to I'll, we'll have to research that and find out but I, I don't think so mm. yeah Cool. So what I'm planning to do is um, um, uh, very, very early stages. But I, I want to... Uh, the, the feedback I've had from um, most people, apart from a couple of reviews, but overwhelmingly the feedback has been good about Angelica and I'm really, really pleased about it. But quite often people will have questions. They'll say, well, um, you know, well, what really happened at the end? And is it what I thought it was? Or I can't believe that that happened. Is that really... You know, and then... It, it's, and because it's a book about details, really, it is all about sort of the little minute details of um, kind of one person's life and his view on other people's lives. It's quite an intimate book. And it's quite tightly edited in the sense that it's quite an economical writing style and I did lots of chopping and changing. I've, I've got quite a lot of material that no one... Well, that didn't make it into the book, basically, including an alternative ending, for crying out loud. Oh, well, there you, you're going to use it. Is that what you're going to say? Well, I was th- I'm, I'm thinking of having a, an Angelica Uncovered site. And instead of... Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the time to kind of launch a, a giant marketing campaign or even to blog and podcast and YouTube stuff uh, like every single second of every day. I just, I'm not in that position. I, I, I can't do it. But I do have quite a lot of content, a lot of material that I think that those people who have already read the book and, and already loved the book would be interested in. And I think it would, hopefully it would create a bit more of a, as I was saying, a bit more of a, 
it would add to the kind of uh, the, end, the 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 world of Cressington Vale, and and sort of I think it would people I think people who've read the book would find it really interesting, and hopefully that would encourage them to say, oh, you should read the book, and then you should go and read this as well because there's more to it. So it include it include include quotes on the book, you know, pieces of dialogue that didn't make it in. Um, um, I might record bits of audio. I could put the uh, videos of me reading bits from it on there, just to kind of rather than just have a website for Ace Rangelica, which just says here are the reviews, here's where you buy it. I just think it'd be more interesting to make it a bit more like a, a, a director's commentary in internet form. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, listeners, do tell me. And if that doesn't work, I've just had a great idea. Hit me. <laughs> well, it's outrageous. I'm just sitting here thinking. It'd be so cool if I'd written a novel. I'd pick my favourite scene with a few characters in and then I'd, like, do a competition to get people to play those characters and do a little homemade film of that scene and then upload it on YouTube. Can I remind you of something you said about three minutes ago? <laughs> What's that? I think you like said... Trevor. To... <laughs> it was before Trevor or maybe after Trevor, but I think you said something on the lines of what do people have to do because people don't really want to do much. Sometimes they don't even want to click a link. <laughs> now you've got them dressed up taking oh, part in YouTube videos people that I didn't include in that are people that would like to um, be famous I think it's a terrible idea but I, I applaud your uh, bravery for right, suggesting okay. it okay well how about just me and a few other people act out some scenes from your book then I'd love to do it that sounds doable <laughs> yeah well I'd like to I mean I think that in terms of poetry, and I guess also, well, you, you've done a lot of readings, haven't you? I think one of the most important ways to get your name out there and to get your book out there, whatever it is, is to actually be reading it to the public because there's nothing like hearing an author read their work. There is nothing like it. You're, you could, you're, go on. You no, I was just going to say, you know, well, the, the reviews are, like, obviously so, so important. They're key. But I just... I'd say that I, m- more importantly for me, if you're doing a circuit, you're going to festivals or events or you're just showing up different places and you're doing readings, those are the books that I've been like, damn it, I'm just going to buy that because I, that was really, really great reading. Yes, you're absolutely right. And this is probably an appropriate time for me to mention that I'm performing at the Coventry Literary Festival on Monday evening and you can go and it's free and it starts at half past six. Oh, that sounds ace. I didn't know about that. Yeah, but that's, um, it's uh, yeah on Monday. I'm quite looking forward to it. I meant to mention it at the start of the podcast when people were still listening, but um, why not do it right at the very end where uh, everyone's turned off because of... Uh, Stop it! Why is it so negative today, Ian? <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long day. Oh, no. Anyway, that all sounds good about um, uncovering Angelica. Good. I'll, um, I'll, put, uh, I'll put the wheels in motion. Brilliant. Okay, where the hell can people find you on the internet, Donna? Twitter, I'm doing, I am doing my website, but it's like one of those things to fit into the day. Um, so it will be up sometime this summer, but otherwise it's um, oh, Don underscore S underscore Sorensen. How do you spell Sorensen? S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. Marvellous. And you can find me at ianbroom.com, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E. And you can also find me on Twitter um, at Ian Broom. Same spelling. And that's it. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And uh, thanks, Donna, as always. Yeah, thanks, Ian. See you next week.